ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Can you speak more than one language? Maybe you've always wanted to learn. I'm very sorry to say I do not. Well, at least not well enough to uh, speak it in front of you. But we do know there are lots of benefits to learning a language. It can improve literacy and maths and science skills in kids. It can bring all sorts of work and travel opportunities, cultural understanding. It can even be good for your brain itself. But Australia ranks really poorly when it comes to the number of students learning languages. They have the lowest year 12 enrolments of all subject areas. So what's stopping more of us from learning another language? How can we get not just young people, but adults interested too, and make it accessible and affordable? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is The Conversation Hour. And I'm Bronwyn O'Shea, filling in for Rochelle Hunt this week. Why do you think more Victorians do not learn a second language? And what will encourage people to take it up? Maren Hennebury lung is a lecturer in languages and TESOL at the University of Tasmania. Hello. Hi, Bronwyn. How are you going? Good. Now, this is something you've been pondering. What's going on yes. with the way that we learn and teach <laughs> languages in Australia? Um, why do you think the rates have been slipping? Um, I think part of it is it, it, fundamentally it tends to come down to resourcing. Um, so whether we have uh, the teachers in schools is is probably one of the, the key areas. And, and therefore, if we're investing in language teacher education programs um, to have the number of teachers to go into schools, um, I suppose the other issues are, um, you know, I, I know many would be concerned about the fact that the um, it, the connection to the ATAR schools, um, for a lot of universities, they're, they're not necessarily requiring that anymore. That's a little bit of a complex area, I think, um, but probably plays into this a little bit. But I do think part of it may be perceptions of languages learning uh, among school children, um, that they perceive it as something that is uh, very difficult and perhaps something that they you know, we haven't been as good as we might be about communicating the, the relevance of it and the interest and the enjoyment that come, can come out of it. Um, so I think it's a complex interplay. Because you can imagine if you are at the point where you're starting to really get um, selective about the subjects you're studying going into year 11 mm -hmm. and 12 and you have a career in mind and that career mm -hmm does not necessarily obviously point <laughs> towards a language mm. being needed, you know, you're, you're probably not going to choose it, are you? No, that's right. And I think this is where, um, you know, if we make the argument that you need to learn a language because of employment, it's probably not the most convincing one in as much as, you know, a lot of people can get a job, a perfectly good job without um, speaking another language. But I think, um, I think we're missing the point a little bit with, um, with that argument. I think there's a lot of other benefits that are to be had from uh, speaking uh, another language or, or just learning, you know, the process of learning it. And you referred to a number of those um, at the start. Um, so certainly while we're talking about younger learners, we've got, you know, language awareness, literacy in particular is a really important one. But of course, then there's aspects of intercultural competence, the ability to um, empathize with others, um, the ability to take on different perspectives, and a lot of the sort of skills that are really important to um, you know, effective global citizenship today. Do you have to be good 
at speaking a language to get those benefits? Um, I don't think you do, to be honest. I think that the process itself, you know, we're not talking about um, you've got to get fluent in the language in order to benefit. A, a lot of the benefits to be had from language learning are, really come from the process, from engaging in the process, um, not necessarily from end state fluency. Um, so, no, I think I think there are huge benefits to be had just from, you know, even learning in the primary years, learning another language already will, will yield a lot of benefits. When do we start teaching languages in school in Victoria? <coughs> Um, I think it'll vary a little bit um, across schools and across um, sort of uh, local government areas. Um, but in in the prime, Victoria starts in the primary years, and there is some there are some programs that will start in the early years um, as well. And do we know the sorts of languages that are that are taught across schools? <coughs> yeah, so Victoria's got a pretty um, comprehensive suite of languages um if you look at the whole picture particularly because we've got the victorian language school as well so you know all in all if we put it all together there's probably around 19 languages <clears throat> that are offered um perhaps more um but that varies a lot across states so if we're looking at tasmania um you've probably got a suite of about four or five languages and obviously that will differ not all schools are offering languages and not all schools are offering all of those languages either Hmm. What influences who who learns what and where? Because it's interesting. So I've noticed that, you know, just because you might have a, a subject, a language offered in primary school, this will be relevant for my kids. They're learning one language at primary school, but the mm -hmm. high school options do not offer that yeah. same language. So it, there seems to be this really ad hoc, <coughs> higgledy-piggledy approach with where you can't actually just learn a language from from five years old onwards. No, and that's, I mean, you sort of hit the nail on the head with one of the key issues, I think, is that, you know, language learning, it, that progression and that continuity is really important. And it's something actually that is sort of inbuilt in the design of the Australian curriculum. So there is a little bit of a mismatch there between what happens on the ground um, and what's happening, what's planned in, in the curriculum. Um, I think, you know, a number of different factors will play into what languages are taught. Um, so... I work in the University of Tasmania and certainly there a lot of it comes down to what teachers schools have in place um, and what skills they bring and you know I think that comes down to also the difference between say Victoria and Tasmania. Victoria has a language education policy, Tasmania doesn't have one at all and so that higgledy-piggledy aspect you refer to in Victoria is all the more so when we don't have a language education policy in place um, to sort of, you know, structure some of this provision. Yeah, that very um, scientific uh, term, higgledy-piggledy. <laughs> You're yes, very welcome right, very to use that in your <laughs> academic you. papers. What policies, <laughs> what policies do you think we do need to have? Like if we're serious about getting mm. people to acknowledge the value of learning a language that go beyond yeah. the linguistics value, what do we need to have in place to make that happen? I mean, I think a number of things. The, the first thing I think is, um, you, you know, you, you mentioned if we're serious about it. I think that's the that's the, first of all the linchpin is deciding are we really serious about this. I think, um, you know, there are good steps being taken in relation to community languages. I think there's more work to be done there. But, um, but the interesting thing for me is that, you know, really when we talk about um, learners of community languages, obviously they often they are already plurilingual speakers themselves and what we're not necessarily putting enough effort into is um, you know what about our monolingual 
um, children and how do we support their, their language skills as well. So I think if we're talking policy, the first thing is we need a policy. And that at the moment, um, you know, so most states have something uh, around those lines. Tasmania has no language education policy, so that's the first step. The next thing I think is within that policy, we need to think about um, a clear plan for implementation because it's one thing saying, you know, this is what we schools should be doing, but then that's got to be backed by resourcing. Um, so one of the key elements of that has to be uh, really training teachers um, and having, you know, qualified teachers who can go into the lang languages space um, and teach from that professional um, knowledge perspective. And that's something else that I think is maybe an area we can do more work in is sometimes we find primary languages particularly um, will be taught by teachers who don't have um, perhaps, you know, language proficiency or particularly the sort of pedagogy, the sort of knowledge around how do we teach language um, effectively. That differs across states, but it is a bit of an issue. Marin, thank you so much for being part of the conversation today. Marin Hennebury-Lung, who is a lecturer in languages at the University of Tasmania. Holly has phoned in to the conversation hour. Welcome, Holly. Hello. Have you learned a language? Yes, I have. I um, we, we are now a bilingual family, but um, when I learnt French um, as an adult, I um, met my now husband, but, you know, we lived a over here for a bit and um, started to learn the language but it wasn't until we moved to France and I was thrown in the deep end that um, as an adult had to learn the language and um, yeah. <laughs> Did you learn just by being immersed in the culture and, and learning from people around you or did you take formal lessons Holly? I did take formal lessons at the very start but it really wasn't until I got a job in in you know, in a workforce that I, I had to speak French. And I did get very lucky. I, I went to my interview and I said, look, you know, I, I don't have particularly the formal French, um, you know, uh, side of the language. I'd learnt more of the informal. Um, and I said, look, I'm motivated. I, I really want to learn. I can also help with English. And they gave me a chance and went from there. So... It, it was tough, very tough at the start. Um, I think as adults, we have, um, we lack the confidence. We, we're shy, we're a bit more conscious of maybe saying it with a, a different accent or yes. things like that. And one day it just clicked. I just thought I need to just not worry about if someone has a bit of a laugh or, or can't understand me. I just have to get through that. And it really changed my mindset for learning that language. Yeah, I think that's so interesting because I I feel exactly the same and have felt exactly the same learning little bits of a language enough to get by travelling. And you open your mouth and you kind of think, uh-oh, how, how is this going to be received? But I just have always hoped they see that I'm giving it my best and <laughs> that that'll be enough. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's interesting. That's the key. It's, it's changing that mindset and just thinking, no, I really want to do this. I really want to try. You know, it doesn't matter. It, it's just about, you can only learn by, by making those mistakes and mm. hoping that people do help guide you a little bit along the way. But watching my children who, you know, their first language really was French and coming out here and, and learning English and you just notice the difference with young children. They they don't have that um, 
you know, that worry of thinking they just learn it and say they it. They just and it's do amazing it, yeah. Holly, them. thank yeah. you so much and congratulations on, on throwing yourself in the deep end and learning French. Um, there's a lots of texts coming in too and uh, and Sue has said a lot of people are, are kind of arrogant. There's an increasing complacency and arrogance about the need to learn another language, even when travelling, says Sue. Everyone speaks English these days is the attitude. And Sue says, I'm 76 and since retiring I have become fluent in French and am learning Italian. I always try to learn a few key phrases of the language of the country I'm visiting. I remember learning the phrase I'm Australian, I don't speak French. Before I went to France, that was the most important phrase (laughs) I thought I should learn. And I went up to a booth, a train station ticket booth, and I said to the guy, you know, I'm Australian, I don't speak French. And he just smiled and said, we can't all be perfect. (laughs) Norbert is in Ascot Vale. Hi, Norbert. Yeah, look, I uh, just think that that with languages learning that, one of the problems is that the white part of Australia is um, just uh, monolingual and we don't mm. even accept here in this country that there is a lot of languages that are already existing and this is, you know, to some degree part of the problem and, uh, you know, as long as we don't accept that there is other languages as well in our own country here in Australia, then, you know, people are not interested in learning something else. So, How are we uh, going to change that attitude, do you think? Well, that is, a, you know, the million-dollar question. I don't think that is just necessarily a part of funding. And it still amazes me that people go overseas and always think, oh, no, I don't need to learn. Everybody speaks English. I mean, there's so much you're missing out on that mm. you don't understand, not just linguistically, but it, the whole thing is a cultural attitude as well. And no, as but long thank as it's you. It's always about money. It's not going to make a difference. Now. Yeah, no, but thank you so much for calling in. The text here I'm going to be a grandmother for the first time next year, and I vouch to speak and only speak my second language, as this is one great gift I can give him. Interesting. And another here, I have two granddaughters who attend Heskett Primary School where they learn Auslan as their second language. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Bronwyn O'Shea with you today. Have you learned a second language? Why did you and has it been useful? Yvanka Smolevska teaches at Laylor North Primary School in a bilingual program. She's also president of the Macedonian Teachers Association of Victoria. Hello there. Hi, good morning Bronwyn and thank you for having me on the conversation hour. It's a pleasure. How many bilingual schools do we have in Victoria? Uh, well, there's 11 bilingual schools in Victoria, from which two have two bilingual programs. So if you count, you can say there are 14 bilingual programs, but uh, they're government funded. And I'm aware that there are around, I think, 10 more private funded bilingual schools. So I would say around 20 in total. And how do they run? What does the, the language teaching look like in a bilingual school? Well, bilingual uh, education utilizes two languages as uh, ways of instructions for students and it provides them with the opportunity to learn the curriculum content uh, through both English and the target language. So they learn through the language. They don't focus on learning just the language. So it's Uh, just part of, of all of the learning across the day. Yes, yes. 
So it's um, most of the time it's 50-50 per week. Uh, So there are two teachers who normally swap. Um, I would say that bilingual programs are run similarly, but they're all a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So two teachers, one it's English model, uh, I would talk about my school, and one it's um, Macedonian model. And whenever Macedonian teacher is in there, children speak in Macedonian to the teacher and Macedonian speaks to them, but teacher speaks to them in Macedonian. So match, for example, match is taught in Macedonian. Uh, so, so do most of your students... Yeah, do most yes, of your sorry. students, Yvanka, come already knowing some Macedonian or some, are some kids learning it for the very first time? Some kids do learn it for, for the very first time, uh, although the program is a heritage program, so they, they are Macedonian, maybe third generation, maybe their grandparents speak Macedonian, but um, many children who they come these days speak English at home with their parents. And they're not really confident and they don't know much uh, to say when they come in prep. Mm. And mm-hmm. so what have you seen as far as some of those those family relationships then? I can imagine if, if younger kids are now able to speak with, say, grandparents in their own language, that must be quite a special result. Yes, yes, it is. And uh, I would say that um, it changes the attitude to children when they start learning the language and when when they start learning it together with their friends, it makes them feel more confident. And then after, I would say, one semester, uh, children in PrEP show some signs of understanding and they start speaking and they answer in Macedonian, which is very um, pleasant for the grandparents to hear and the parents as well. Sometimes parents come very happy saying that uh, they don't know the words that the kids are saying or they're mm. reading daily books in Macedonian and they're very uh, surprised and proud of, of their knowledge. Yvanka, what about the the benefits beyond just the language learning and the linguistics? Do you see other changes or other differences in the way they learn or the way they approach tasks because they're in a bilingual school? Yes, yeah, definitely. Uh, there, there is a significant research done uh, for the benefits of bilingual education. Uh, one of the greatest, uh, I would say, say hours from Melbourne is the late uh, Doctor uh, Professor Doctor Michael Klein. Um, when children learn the curriculum content through both languages daily, they um, develop different skills and they develop benefits in other areas. For example, their logic becomes. Um, better. They also understand the um, different languages have different rules and that um, strengthen the literacy in both languages. Um, also, it increases the, um, the uh, thinking skills. Um, so, all these areas are better and uh, from my 20-something years experience, I can say that although they they are less exposed to English learning, their English language is also at or above the level of the their peers. So that's interesting. Yeah, yeah it's very, and they also their math skills are better. I know the research has been done at um, 
Camberwell Primary School that they have French bilingual program and they run maths from prep to grade six in French. And all these speakers are not um, heritage learners, so they're not native French. Uh, and I know that their maths results are at a very high level. Yovanka, thank you so much. So interesting to hear about the way that it's running in those bilingual schools. Yovanka Smolevska teaches at Leilor North Primary School in a bilingual program, also the president of the Macedonian Teachers Association of Victoria. Greg is in Sunbury. Welcome, Greg. Thanks for calling the conversation hour. Bonjour. Comment allez-vous? Bonjour. You speak French, Greg. (laughs) Well, I try to. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It all started as a bit of a joke last year with uh, my friend in Belgium, uh, who's Walloon uh, in Charleroi, and uh, he he said, look, everything is here for you, uh, for you to come over, uh, but you must learn to speak French first. And he was only joking, of course, but (laughs) that was a red rag at a bull for me. (laughs) So I joined joined the U3A, University Mm -hmm. of Third Age, and uh, I do two hours on a Friday learning uh, learning French or attempting to learn French because it's such a difficult language. Um, and uh, I, I'm lucky in some ways that I, I, I have the pronunciation pretty well. Um, but the uh, but it's still at 72 years old. It's really hard to get the, the to, to keep everything in my head, especially seeing I'm not immersed in in French. But the three months I had before I went to Belgium and France, it really actually helped us when we when we're in especially in France or in Belgium we were with uh, Alain all the time, but in France it did help. And my wife was actually amazed at how much I had learned, and um, and it it, uh, it was great. And when I came back, instead of just saying, "Oh well, I've done what I was going to do," I decided to keep it up, and I still go there. And I, even though I, I I tell my teacher that I'll probably always be in the beginners class, um, I'm I'm determined to stick it out because I think it it helps keep the brain alive. Yeah, I, and and I think the research suggests you're absolutely absolutely right, Greg. Uh, Sabrina. Sabrina is in Caulfield. Hello, Sabrina. Hi, how are you? Good, good. Tell me about your experience with learning language. Um, so, obviously, I'm of Italian background, and when we came out to Australia when I was 10 years old, I only spoke Italian, um, and obviously now I speak English with a very Australian accent. <laughs> um, but, um, yes, yeah, so uh, once I learned English, I became bilingual in high school. I just sort of had this love of languages and studied French in high school and then when I went to university I wanted to challenge myself and pick up another language and Japanese was quite big in the 90s but I wanted to be a little bit different so I went for Chinese Um, and I studied yeah um, Chinese as well then I traveled to China as a student Um, I eventually got a degree in teaching and I taught Chinese in a high school once I had enough of that, I teach Italian in a language centre, which was fantastic because it was people that wanted to travel overseas, um, a lot of adults, um, and that was great. So, so you've really and, put your languages to good use, Sabrina, all of them. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yes. What do, you I think stops, what do you think stops more people from embracing language? Um, I would say, uh, like one of the comments that was made before, that um, people just assume English is spoken everywhere, I don't need to learn their language. Um, Whereas, uh, and I think that's probably the main problem, but also in schools, 
there isn't any importance put in learning languages. You know, there mm. isn't, it's basically, well, you speak English, you'll be right. A lot of importance is placed on, you know, you've got to have your sciences and your maths and, you, you know, to, to go to university and so on. Um, so that there is a lack of importance put behind languages and a lot of parents don't support the language learning. Um, Sabrina, thank you so much for, for calling and, and putting in a very good argument for uh, the reasons to learn. It does feel as though languages could do with a bit of a PR boost, a bit of a campaign to talk about those broader benefits. Caroline has phoned in from Caulfield. Hello, Caroline. Hello. Um, look, I learned French um at primary school i had a french pen pal we visited but of course I, it was easier because i was living in the uk um then i learned german at school and latin and and i think that's the crux um the, the, the learning the latin opens you to romanesque languages mm. and um uh and i got a love of language from my father who actually went to school in Wales and at the age of 16 had to cram one year of Latin to go to Cambridge University to study medicine. But he went to live in Portugal for a while and was proficient in uh, Portuguese. So I guess it helps if you've got, um, you know, the DNA. Practice, yes, and even just that respect for the, the importance of learning languages to Caroline and that being part of the family story. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Australians rank pretty poorly when it comes to the number of senior secondary students learning another language. Why do you think that is and what can we do to get more people interested and excited about learning a second language. If you have been down that path yourself, why did you learn it and has it been useful? I'd love to hear from you. Uh, Stefan Romanu is the OAM, is the Executive Director of Community Languages Australia and the Victorian branch of Community Languages Victoria. Hi, Stefan. Hi, how are you? Good. So this is a great place for adults to go along and learn a language. And I understand you've actually seen a rise in numbers the last year. Yeah, look, community languages are um, very popular in terms of uh, the national scene. So we have uh, about 110,000 students in about 60 languages, primarily being offered after uh, school in um, a lot of settings, um, but very much... Um, a major deliverer of languages policy in a, in Australia. Well, who comes along to learn languages at your centres? Well, it's basically children uh, from preschool to year twelve. So, if, um, in some states uh, and territories, we have you know students doing BCE, HSC, SACE, depending on on their um, on the state. But uh, they're children whose parents want their children to maintain the language and the, and, and the culture uh, because it's a very, very important setting, the setting of having um, people in an authentic, authentic setting. So it's not just the language component, it's also giving them some of the, the culture and also being able to interact within their own communities. Are they coming to you because they're, they're not offering that language they want to speak in their own school? Is that is that where you sit? Yes, look, um, out of the... Um, we're talking about Victoria, for example. There's I think 19 languages that have been provided through the um, through mainstream schools. But 
you know, we have, for example, I'm of Ukrainian background. Um, you're not going to have, uh, you don't have a cohort somewhere where, you know, some mainstream school is going to be able to teach, um, teach Ukrainian. So they come into this setting. But it's a very, very important setting because ultimately it gives uh, parents and children um, the opportunity to maintain uh, a connection with their community. How costly is it? Well, where, for example, each state and territory, um, and let's let's focus on Victoria. Um, Victoria, for the Victorian government, provides uh, two hundred and forty-five dollars per capita per student. But um, to get that two hundred and forty-five dollars, obviously, what you have to do is you have to go through an accreditation process. So you have to be a legal entity. You've got to have a curriculum. Um, obviously, all the things like child safety and working with children's checks, all those things have to be uh, dealt with. But government provides. Um, Funding and it also provides funding for professional development and, and, and training. Uh, so we're sort of fairly fairly well suited in in, in Victoria. I'm just in Adelaide now. We've got a, a national community languages schools conference uh, here, so we've got about 200 people from around the country looking at how they can uh, upskill and um, what's the new way of being able to deal with the teaching of languages. And our conference, for example, in Victoria. Uh, last year and this year focused on imagining the future because we see, you know, language learning, language teaching, uh, those things will change as time goes on. So we have to navigate that future. So that's what we're talking about uh, the next two days. Is The reason I ask about um, how much it costs is I wonder if cost can be a barrier to people studying a language. Well, in the community language sector, obviously, <coughs> parents... Or community support they they provide uh, they provide uh, funding as well obviously more funding you can get more resources you can do more um, that's that's obvious but at the same time I think there's a little bit more than just um, funding I think one of the issues that uh, we've been pushing is we believe that you need a national uh, languages policy a policy that um, it, it takes into account what happens in the mainstream school, what happens in school of languages, what happens in um, community languages schools, because ultimately uh, when you have a strong policy, then obviously what happens is that people can then turn around and say, well, okay, uh, it's not about a, a school wanting to make a decision on languages. Uh, it, it's in a sense mandated. But we do have, you know, we have the issue of crowded curriculum. We have a whole range of um, issues. Uh, Funding is very, very important, but I think policies are also very, very important. You know, how do you navigate? What, what, what are the key result areas that you want out of languages? And I think Victoria um, does pretty well in terms of languages education. Um, you know, it's been very, very strong over many, many years. Uh, and the important thing is that when it comes to community languages, um, we very much have bi bipartisan support, um, regardless of who's in, who's in, who's in power. Stefan, thank you so much for giving us the, the take from the community languages perspective. Stefan Romanu, who is the Executive Director of Community Languages Australia and at a conference in Adelaide on that topic right now. Kirsten has phoned in from Wood End. Hello, Kirsten. Hi, Roman. How are you? Good. What's your experience been? Well, I was, um, I was born in the mid-70s and my mother was German and my father was English and... At the time, it wasn't exactly um, super fashionable to be German. <laughs> and um, she used to actually speak English uh, with an English accent to sort of mimic my father. They made a conscious decision to not raise my brother and I bilingual um, because 
back then it was perceived that why on earth would you need it? We're so far away from Germany and um, the world is not a global place and so on and so forth. Um, so then unfortunately when I was five she passed away and I kind of made it my life's mission to learn her language so I could go and speak with my relatives but of course they just wanted to practice their English with me. <laughs> so <laughs> I found it really, really difficult and I even I learned it at school. I did a study stream at university. I went to the Goethe Institute in Melbourne and did conversation classes. And every, every time I went to Germany again, I just couldn't immerse myself in the language because I guess I was hanging out with educated Germans who wanted to practice their English. Yes. Um, but now, next year, my 50th, I'm going to make it my mission when I go over there to celebrate to, to really get stuck in again and try it with all these new apps and stuff like that. I think I can somehow make another attempt to immerse myself in the language. <laughs> you might have to be just really strict about it and say, we are not speaking English tonight. I am only speaking in German. Good on you, Kirsten. And what a lovely story about, you know, going back and honouring the language that, um, you know, th that your parents spoke. Uh, Kirsten in Wood Inn there. I'd love to hear from you as well about your experiences learning a language. This text, I successfully did Year 12 French in 87. I chose it because I loved the language and it helped keep my tertiary options open with my maths and science program. My take on it is, coupled with observations of my kids' education, is that languages are not supported as they are treated as just another subject and you're up against native speakers who claim not to be. So the language standards are set very high and they shouldn't be. That is what puts students off, says Deb in Port Melbourne. I wonder if that's an experience you've had too, whether it just becomes too complex and therefore people drop out. And a text here, I'm unsure if this point has been brought up, but there are over 250 Indigenous languages across this country. Yet this fact alone, each respective language being as complex and rooted in distinct cultures and histories, does not seem known, let alone respected and appreciated. How does this relate to the current conversation? Well, I'm glad you ask, because in just a few minutes' time, we are going to speak to someone from the Victorian Aboriginal Corporation for Languages. Machiko Weinman is an Associate Professor in Languages Education at Deakin University. Hello, Machiko. Good morning, Colin. Thank you so much for having me. So many great calls this morning from people who have decided to throw themselves into learning another language as adults, so later in life. Um, what's the best way to learn? Do we know much about the best way to learn as an adult? Um, look, I think it might really depend on the individual and, you know, in the conversation hour, I think we've already heard so many interesting stories how people have gone about the language learning journey and they've all been really quite different. Mm. Um, I think it's important to bear in mind that adults can certainly successfully learn a language. I think very often we might have the impression that maybe, you know, um, once you past a certain age it's just going to be too hard or too difficult but you know we've heard a lot of stories now where people have successfully um, embraced um, studying a language kind of later on as adults and um, I think there are lots of skills that adults have that can actually really help with the language learning journey I guess um, we'd have um, uh, well-developed analytical skills that help us grasp language structures and pattern more easily. Um, we might have a really good sense of 
how we learn or how we like to learn and maybe to maximize you know the little pockets of time that we might have in a busy week and how we could use those you know times we've got available really efficiently there's a text here and sorry this isn't about adults but about kids but i think it's relevant it says i'm keen to hear ideas on how to encourage kids to learn another language we've tried to teach our kids another language but by the time they get home from school they've had enough of learning and already have their own homework they're learning a useless language at their primary school but that's the only teacher they have says Donnie in the dairy. What, do you have any tips on, on inspiring, you know, kids to learn outside of school, Machiko? Yeah, I think what um, might be really helpful is maybe just sort of finding a, a community um, where sort of um, the language um, is used as part of sort of the family and the friendship group and, you know, where the kids might have... Um, other other peers or friends who um, they kind of feel they are part with um, of that language community. Um, I know that um, lots of bilingual families are really quite proactive in organising um, play groups or sort of events, you know, where you just come together and you've kind of got an activity um, or you're sort of just playing and chatting, you have a picnic and sort of the language is actually more part of what you're doing anyway and it just feels sort of more natural and um and authentic and part of what you do rather than kind of you know sort of a classroom or study situation Mm. once upon a time you sort of had to had to learn a language either in person from a teacher or there were tapes you know people would sit and listen to tapes and learn Mm. that way now of course we've got ai and we have apps and you can do all sorts of things online with learning is that as successful do we know how apps rate as far as learning a language well they are certainly very very popular i guess um what was really interesting to see was that during the pandemic for example you know language learning was one of the most popular activities that people took up Mm. and because of the lockdowns of course people will go to sort of online language learning resources and apps and i think a lot of providers really experienced a huge increase in subscribers and users um so i think there is really a lot out there um in sort of the the digital world and um, i think it's very attractive because um there's probably a range of um, things to choose from that might suit a particular learning style a particular time commitment um i guess duolingo is is the, the best known app and i think that allows you to particularly learn vocabulary and phrases um, sort of in smaller chunks and through regular repetition. So I think that can be quite motivating. Thank you so much for being part of the chat. Machiko Weinman, Associate Professor, Languages Education at Deakin University. We are talking about why more of us do not take up a second language and what would encourage that. I'd love to hear your experiences. Uh, let's head to Mitchum. Connie has phoned in. Hello, Connie. Oh, hello, and buongiorno, ayubo an, this, this always works. Now, I agree absolutely with everything that everyone has said, but I was most interested in your comment, how can we promote? Now, we can promote in a very easy way. The, VC, the VCAA does not have a language component in it. What it should have is two languages. You do English and one other. 
any other one at a year 12 level because so make it compulsory all the way through connie absolutely but the level then the students start seeing a reason because if i'm good at it i'll do it at vce level whereas if they're good at it at year seven all of a sudden, they think, "No, we're going to do maths," and, and I'm not. I'm not decrying that. I think maths and physics and all of that are so important. But the other reason is also the fact that there's a downward trend in English learning. How to better your English learning by comparing the phrases, the symptoms, how you learn in a different language. Yeah, and Connie, that kind of echoes what our teacher from the bilingual school said as well about the fact that, interestingly, by learning that second language and having that embedded in the school, um, the English results were really strong too. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. And we're talking this morning about why more Victorians aren't learning a second language. What will encourage people to take it up? If you've had an experience learning a language, I'd love to hear what you learnt, why, and has it been useful? Dr Vicky Cousins is Chairperson of the Victorian Aboriginal Corporation for Languages and uh, Kurai Warong Gundachamara, Senior Knowledge Holder for Possum Skin Cloak Story and a Gundachamara Mother Tongue. Hello, Vicky. Hello, Bronwyn. How are you going? I'm all right. We've had a couple of texts through this morning saying, where do um, First Peoples languages fit into this picture um, if we're talking about, about learning an extra language? What's happening at the moment across Victorian schools? Um, well, there is a Victorian uh, P to 10 framework and a year 11 and 12 curriculum framework where students are able to um, learn an Aboriginal language of the land where their school's situated. That's the um, cultural protocol um, that prefaces the curriculum um, framework that VACL co-wrote with the State Aboriginal Education Association a number of years ago now. Um, what, where things are at is, that, is the paucity of resourcing and funding. There's no, no real... Um, you know, infrastructure investment from the state to um, there. There are. Well, Vicky, I think we've got a dodgy phone line connection with you. I might, we'll pop you back on hold and we'll see if we can get you in the right spot so that we get you in range. Dr Vicky Cousins speaking with us, Chairperson of the Victorian Aboriginal Corporation for Languages. Really interesting text here on this. It says, when the Welsh language was struggling for survival, it was made compulsory in all Welsh schools. I wonder why we don't do that with some of our Indigenous languages, says this text. Um... Uh, your previous caller's comments about the benefits of language learning. We see it in our NAPLAN data each year, says Louisa at Hawthorne East. So um, that's something definitely worth a conversation with Vicky when we get her back online. Uh, and she's she's back. Hi, Vicky. I yeah, think we've hi. sorted Is your phone better? line out. <laughs> Much better. I'm, that's okay. Yeah, was in a bill. I'm in a building, so yeah. You're right. Um, so you were talking about the fact that you'd love to see far more resources and funding invested in rolling well, out First Peoples languages well, in school. There's there's a whole spectrum to um, language revitalisation because of the impacts of colonisation. The languages have been decimated. Mm. And so to have languages ready to share and to be taught in schools is a long journey. And right. we have very few fluent speakers of any of the Aboriginal languages from so-called Victoria 
and bordering nations. Um, so it's a, it's a complex thing to be able to implement an Aboriginal language in a school. And, you know, there are some initiatives being taken by the State Aboriginal VAI, the State Aboriginal Education Group, along with the Department of Education in training people to teach languages. But there's no investment from the state in supporting VACL, the State Language Peak Organisation on Aboriginal Languages, and we've been working with our communities for 30 years to develop our languages, one, for us to learn, first and mm. foremost, because that, I think, is a priority, but also to um, deliver any school programs. There's no investment in the work that is required, so we have to like do research in archival, we have to do research in our communities, what knowledges remain, what languages bits are spoken, how do we then you know, develop enough um, content. And, and it's not like teaching a lot or teaching English. We teach in a cultural context and that's a requirement in the curriculum framework to be engaged with traditional custodians and, and such to ensure that the um, language but is it's taught, taught in that context. context. Yeah. So, so Vicky, where do we, we start can... with that? Sorry to interrupt. Where do we start with that then? If we actually need to begin by protecting the languages that are spoken and making sure that we don't lose that and then find a way to kind of bring that holistic cultural education in, where does that begin? Where does that begin? Um, it's been going on for a long time. We've been working for all of those reasons ourselves first and foremost and, and for that um, opportunity to share in education settings and such it's it not hasn't been a priority in um, you know the, the funding and strategic planning and thinking to date it's only just starting to be recognized as a sector the languages across Australia I'm on uh, the National Language Policy Partnership which has just been set up this year through the closing the gap, you know, national policy thing. And, you know, there's so many issues. Um, I think one of them is a lack of will <laughs> that's been missing for a long time. And, um, you know, the... the um, oh, I, I, It's really hard to answer where to start. There's so much to do. And supporting our, our communities and organisations to, to be able to do that work because language is, you know, a central thing to your culture and your knowledges and it's a repository of everything you know about who you are and where you belong. Mm. Polly has sent a, a text message, Vicky, saying, are there any local places in Melbourne to learn a First Nations language? No. Really? No. no. Well, well, where? Who's funding it? That's that, They're my question. Sorry, I'm really... Um, I might sound a bit, a bit angry there because I am frustrated after I've been spending that 25 odd years, my father and other elders before me, in working in this space. And, you know, um, here in Victoria, like I said, the state has no uh, funding commitment to supporting the development and uh, growth of Aboriginal infrastructure way. There are bits put into projects, which are always finite, and programs, but nothing that uh, wraps around the whole spectrum of what, what is required. And mm. 
Um, and you know, we've had lots of other speakers say that there needs to be a proper national languages policy, and it sounds as though well, you know this definitely well, needs moved, to be included. Yeah, we're making moves in the national language policy partnership. That's one of the things we're looking at is the national policy and legislation. Mm. So there's that work. In the meantime, the numbers are, you know, we've all just been through the COVID pandemic. Well, languages globally, there is a pandemic of attrition and loss that is happening. And people in the know, the academics and those are predicting that of the 7,000 languages in the world, we're going to be down to 300 in 100 years. Now, if that does not scare people, I don't know what, what does. And here in Australia... Don't be in any way under any illusion that, you know, we've got strong languages. We've got some strong languages in some of the communities across Australia, but all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander languages in Australia are critically endangered. Mm. And by 2050, they're predicting no fluent speakers left. So it's... That's astonishing, Vicky. It's a crisis. It's a crisis. There's evidence, like there's white fella researched evidence i'm not making these numbers up and i get quite heightened (laughs) you probably can hear um and breathless even um because it's trying to get the urgency of the message through and we all know how slow the institutions and the government systems move and respond and while we relationship with the commonwealth who are the primary languages in victoria to the State Language Centre, must hit the ground to communities because, you know, we have... Oh, Vicky, I'm so sorry, but your phone is letting us down again. But thank you so much for those really important points you've made around the fact that we are uh, terrifyingly close to losing some of the First Peoples languages that um, that we've had. Dr Vicky Cousins there, Chairperson of the Victorian Aboriginal Corporation for Languages. Helen has phoned from Sunbury. Welcome to the program, Helen. Hi, thank you. What did you want to say? Oh, I just uh, wanted to probably put languages in a different light. Um, I have four children and when they were three, five, seven and nine, we had the chance to move to Zambia um, for a period of time. And, and, you know, we didn't put a lot of emphasis on the learning of the language, but the children picked it up so much quickly, more quickly than my husband and I. Um, And the youngest was the one who um, could tell me so many things in Bemba that I, I didn't understand. Yeah. So I, I think in lots of ways it heightens what we're saying about, you, you know, having that language spoken around your house, if you're learning something. Um, when we came back, we used to have a, a day where we were, you know, where we went back to using Bemba so we didn't lose it. Um, and and it well done, and you're so right, Helen. Kids seem to just absorb it, don't they? And I'm so jealous. Thank you so much for calling in, Helen in Sunbury. Thank you so much for your company across the week. I'll be back with you from Monday. Have a great day.